with Nikita Miller and Stella Garber to talk all things tech and startups, leadership marketing, sales, life, being people out in the world trying to survive. The three of us met a few years ago. We won't get into too many specifics on that at a little startup called Trello. Nikita will tell you more about herself. She was in product. Stella was running our marketing and I was running our sales team. And as we kind of spent more time together after Trello, we've been chatting and we just thought, wouldn't it be nice to like hang out and share some bits of wisdom and, or maybe just commiserate out into the world about what's going on and share our experience building different teams and working in different, you know, big companies, small companies, kind of everything in between, and also balancing all the things in life. So that's what we're going to attempt to do in this series of podcasts, but let's do some quick intros. And Nikita, you want to go off? I love, I love this wisdom and commiseration. That's our branding. Um, So before we dig into everything, let's do quick intros. You're probably wondering who we are. I'm Nikita Miller. I'm currently SVP, head of product at The Knot Worldwide. I've been in product management pretty much my entire career, spent a lot of time in education technology and productivity software with Stella and Kristen. I'm also an angel investor and a runner, and I have two tiny humans um, who are three and a half and two, and we live in upstate New York. So we're always trying to balance everything. Uh, Stella, your turn. How about you tell us about yourself? Hi, everybody. My name is Stella Garber, and I am coming to you from Miami, although usually I'm in Chicago, but avoiding this giant snowstorm, which supposedly is going to be horrible. I have been in tech and startups my whole career and running marketing teams. So my last gig, I uh, ran marketing at Trello from the very first marketing hire all the way through acquisition and just left a few months ago. Along the way, I have been doing a fair bit of angel investing. I've invested in over 30 companies. I also advise a handful of VC firms and startups all about marketing. And uh, I also have two small humans, a uh, five-year-old, almost five-year-old and a 14-month-old. And I I think my only other hobby is like eating good food and travel. I guess travel once that is a thing again. Yeah. So that that's a little bit about me. Back to you, Nikita. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to get to know Kristen. Kristen is Chief Revenue Officer at Shogun and a sales veteran, also a mom of three little guys, which we'll hopefully hear all about them at some point as well. So Kristen, tell us about yourself. Yeah, thanks. I know you guys have two. I have to be the classic overachiever and have a third kid. But I will mention that I tried to have two. And again, classic <laughs> overachiever, I accidentally got twins uh, in the mix. So I have, I have a two three and a half year olds, which is absolute chaos and a nine year old as of tomorrow, depending on when you listen to this, it will have happened already. But yeah, so I am chief revenue officer at Shogun. We're a series C e-com tech company and I've been there about a year. I was at Atlassian obviously before this running at one point America's in APAC enterprise sales. And then building out a team for them, a global team for inside sales. And before that VP at 
Trello. And I am just trying to get my foot in with some angel investing. Stella is my my North Star to help me figure out what to do there, I think. And I'm on two boards, uh, one with a company called Passion.io, which is low code, no code, get an app out to be able to engage with your audience. And the other is a company called Guide CX, which does uh, customer onboarding software. Super, super cool stuff. Really lets you kind of engage and really, again, like kind of like Trello-like experience there. Project management is really specific to onboarding customers. So right now at Shogun, I'm running all sales, marketing, customer success, client services, basically anybody customer facing is engaging with someone on on my team at this point. But yeah, that's a little bit. And I'm in Connecticut. It's cold. I did not escape. Uh, unlike Stella, um, oh, no. I'm stuck here for some unknown reason. <laughs> but we think about it daily. We do. Yeah, yeah. It's just a constant reminder every time I look yeah. outside. Miami is uh, the people here have been complaining about how cold it is, and it's like 67 degrees. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you completed the VC journey, Stella, landing yourself That's down true. in Miami. Yeah. Everyone seems to be heading there now. Yeah, exactly. Um, We'll, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> Let's, uh, all right, Kristen. So that was the general overview of yeah. your career so far. We're going to dig deeper, and I'm excited to, for us to ask you all these questions. So you're now in the C-suite. You didn't start there. Yeah. Can you give us a little insight into kind of your career arc and when you, you feel like, you know, you, it took off? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I was really lucky, I think, to kind of be in the right place the right time a couple of times. So I started off as an office manager at a tech company that did manage security services. And and I always joke, I had two job offers. One was the Macy's shoe department and one was this office manager job. And I'm like, what did the Christian who took the Macy's shoe job look like? I The discounts, I'm sure we're going to be amazing, but probably a slightly different journey. So, but yeah, I started off as an office manager there and like literally knew absolutely nothing about tech and the sales team had an opening and the finance team had an opening and the CEO was like, Hey, listen, either team would love to have you. What do you want to do? And I was like, Oh my God, I can't go and do math forever. Like finance isn't the right journey for me. So I went with the sales role and that was kind of it. And, you know, it just became something where it was like, it was talking to people and it was like, you never knew what was going to happen. And you had to be really creative and had like this, I was a theater major, had like this improv element to it. And and it was really just like fun. You know, I was spending all day chatting with customers and, and, you know, trying to like, it's like a puzzle trying to get a deal done. And so it just kind of clicked. And I was fortunate that you know, it worked out and the company was growing, but I remember it was managed security services. I knew nothing about technology and I came home with like my study guide. They had 50 services and my husband's an engineer. And I was like, can you explain to me what a firewall is? <laughs> I was like, okay, now can you like, explain like, and it was just, he had to explain every single thing to me. He was like, let me draw you the cloud. Now let's see all the traffic goes this way. And I was like, Right into the cloud because you know, like SaaS didn't really exist, they were really new. And we would call these banks trying to sell this, and they're like, You're gonna do what? How does my traffic get there? And we're like, Well, you installed T1 line, like it's just the tech is so outdated now, but at the time it was so impressive. And so, anyways, I, I was there for a couple of years and 
ended up running a, an SDR team um, and starting an account management team. And I was just really, really fortunate that I worked with this um, CEO and head of sales that were like, looked past the fact that I was like egregiously underqualified to do a ton of this stuff, but they just saw that I was willing to, I'm sure work cheaply was a component of it, but like hustle a lot to do it. And so I was with them for a couple of years and then the market collapsed and we were selling to financial institutions and like banks were going out of business. They were just disappearing. And I thought like, this is a really bad time to be selling into finance. So I ended up finding this little startup in New York that was hiring the first couple of salespeople. And I did the commute out there and that was Fog Creek, which is for you guys, you know, the parent company that kind of Trello and Stack Overflow, Stack Exchange, all those guys spun out of. So I spent two years commuting every single day from almost to New Haven to, to Manhattan it was like a two plus hour commute each direction. Like I left at dark. I came home at dark. I saw no one. I did nothing. But like I had a job during a horrible recession at a company that was growing and was doing really well and was, was lovely to work for. But eventually the commute kind of took its toll on me. And I went back and, and worked for the original company CEO that I was the managed security services one. He bought another company called Awareness Technologies. And I helped build out their sales team and just like uh, through it all, like it was the, the figuring out of the puzzle and growing the teams that was super exciting to me. And I was there for five years building that out and Trello, my husband was up at ESPN and he was commuting every day with our baby. And I, I had stayed in touch with the head of people, Liz at Trello. And, um, she's like, Oh, you know, we hire remote now. And like, that was crazy, right? Like that was not a common thing. Trello was really one of the earliest companies, I think, doing it at scale like that. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we work remote now. Like if Dawn is interested. So my husband ended up getting a job at, at Fog Creek, which was still Trello at the time. And I think it reminded them that I existed. And so then they were like, Hey, um, we're about to take this fundraising round. We're going to spin Trello off. We want someone to come and run our sales team for us. And, Oh, you don't have to do that commute anymore. And I was like, sold. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that commute, but I'm still working with you guys. That's super awesome. And so, and it kind of just grew from there. Right. And I think like for me, you know, sales clicked right away. People management is different. Right. And, and I think like the people management part of it, probably it clicked a little at my first job with perimeter, but then I went back to being an IC at Fog Creek. And I really realized that I missed like I thought like I can't manage people like people are horrible <laughs> you know they I'm not good at it like I'm just a kid they don't they're they're not going to listen to me like I had a lot of like imposter syndrome I think especially cuz of my my age at the time and like obviously being a woman in financial services like I was often like the only one by far in like a room, but our VP of sales was a woman, which was really unusual. And I think I kind of was like, Oh, I can, I can do this. And, and I stayed in touch with her and our sales manager because they were both these really like awesome women who had done really well. And I was like, I think maybe I want to be like that for people and have them be able to see it. So anyways, this is a rambling answer, but then I think the people <laughs> management part kind of kicked in and I was like, Oh, I like this too. I can kind of help people grow. And that was exciting to me. I'm going to bring us back. Thank you. A few, a few steps and we're going <laughs> to jump one. Liz, 
Liz Hall is also part of all of our stories, and she's yes. definitely going to be on this podcast one day. She's now head chief people officer at Splash, so that'll happen. So back a little bit, you jumped over the fact that you were a theater major. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's pretty right. amazing. Can you share a little yeah. bit about kind of how you think your theater background yeah. influences how you work? Yeah, I can. I mean, I think part of it is that I'm an extremely competitive person. And I remember in college, my husband who was in college with me was a software engineer major. And he was like, I lovingly joking that like, he would have to take care of me uh, for the rest of our life because what job was I going to get? And in fairness, like he was totally right. Like I basically had no path to making money with my theater. Shoe department, shoe department. Shoe department, right. And so when he had all those (laughs) shoes, he would have been super appreciative. But part of that was just that like, I really wanted to stick it to him and make more money. So like that was the drive outside of the theater major, right? But I think the thing, I love hiring a theater major. I love finding people who do theater. I just adore it. One of my, one of my best hires I've ever made and a very good friend of mine, Sarah Sherwood, I knew because we did community theater together and I was like, you should be in sales. Good, good theater. People should always be in sales. Our our VP of people at Shogun is a theater person. Like I just, you know, I have an affinity to it, but you know, it makes you unafraid to put yourself out there. It makes you understand how to listen and really understand, you know, there's a ton of empathy in theater and like really understand what someone is saying. So whether it's sales leadership, whether it's sales or whether it's leadership, the idea of like hearing what someone is saying and like really listening and taking it in, understanding what the next steps in that conversation are, are all important. I mean, rejection, I think for sales is huge. And like, you know, if you have like a 20% close rate in sales, you're doing pretty darn good, which means you're losing 80% of the time. The only people used to that kind of abuse are actors who are like auditioning constantly being told they suck and they don't get the job. So yeah, I failed a ton of auditions and you still get back up and do it again. And so anyways, they're all reasons why I think like support the arts people. Like there's other things out there. You don't have to be an engineer. Like you can have a great career and be an artist still. Yeah. I always, I wanted to make a little plug for that just because people often think there's only one way to technology. So it's really Mm -hmm. nice to hear kind of stories of folks that have taken other paths there. That's actually a good point. Segue real quick. Nikita, what was your major in college? Oh yeah. I was, (laughs) I was an industrial labor relations major because I was sure that I was going to go to law school and be a corporate lawyer. That's that's what I thought with a minor in in like Cold War history. What I should have been was either a Russian lit major or a German lit major. That, but, that would have unlocked it for you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> How about you? What about you, Stella? I was pre-med because I, well, we'll hear my story later, but immigrant background, psychology degree, and I think business or Spanish minor. I don't even remember anymore. But yeah, not right. a, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Can I ask a question? So I'm curious, Kristen, you said you were, well, I'm curious, how old were you when you became a manager? Oh, I was jo- way too young. Like they should not have let me do that. I was, <laughs> I was like 22, 23. It was like within a year of me starting my career that I was 
managing at the end of it. So yeah, it was like, oh, oh, six. And did you, did they have any formal training for you? No, 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 absolutely not. No, it was like, good luck. Don't die. That was about it. <laughs> That's it's so funny now because yeah, like career pathing, training, all this stuff. Like I'm sure people had it then, but like I didn't experience that. Like it was just like the guy was gone. They needed a manager again. I'm sure I sort of felt like cheap labor, and they were like, eh, "Let Kristen do it. She seems hungry enough." How, I feel like how, that. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I feel like that's pretty common these days. Like people are often like you know, oh, I don't feel qualified to be a manager. And it's like, for most people, you just sort of, it just happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you can never, I I don't think you can ever really be ready to know if you're going to be a good manager or not, or if you even want to be a manager. But um, I, you know, talking about like career advice, I've had so many super talented people where I'm like, Hey, listen, you should think about the team lead position or whatever. And they're like, Oh, I just need a few more years. I just need, I was like, you just need to do it if you're going to do it. And then there's always a couple of people who like shouldn't do it that are like, I'm really ready. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure. But yeah, no, I, I don't think, you know, until you kind of get in it too, if you're even going to enjoy doing it, but certainly like I had no experience and I look back, I'm sure everyone does. I'm sure you guys do too. Right. Like I look back on some of those early management interactions. I'm like, Oh my God, how did HR not come and because there was no HR. That's how, that's the only way I got away with it. But it's like, you know, it's like some of those mistakes and I feel bad. Like I've, I've often thought about like, I should reach out to people and be like, I'm really sorry. I was a terrible manager. Like I promise I've gotten better now, but like yeah, it's like that first kid. You're like, ah, sorry. <laughs> I did it better with the next ones, but like eh, for you, it's not so good. <laughs> so from from 22 to where you are now, um, well, one, how many people report to you now? How big is your org? My team is about, uh, they don't all report directly to me, thank goodness, but um, I have about 60 people across the different teams that are yeah coming into me so it's it's quite a bit and that last year was about the same it was 50 I think people um across a bunch of different geos that were reporting into me so yeah and then out of that there's probably like I think I have maybe eight or nine direct reports and from from not having any idea how to manage and winging it to where you are now what are your um how would you describe your leadership or your management style? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, I guess to some extent, I really, I still haven't ever gone through formal, you know, like you go through like one day kind of things, like no, no real formal management training. So I'm sure I'm still doing a ton of it wrong. But um, I think like the few things I've learned to value the most, right, is like, and everyone, I think a lot of people say this, but it's like just really open and honest communication. Like I always say, you know, things won't always work out, but you'll never be surprised that things aren't working out. Like that's all I can, that's all I can genuinely promise. Like I will try my best, but I will at least let you know, you know, when it's working, when it's not. And I don't wait for like formal reviews. Like it's, it's a continuous process, right. Of communication. Um, I think respecting each other is super important and valuing people's times. Like, you know, I remember when I was starting off, and I loved my CEO. Listen, I have nothing but super appreciative words to tell him about the opportunity he gave me. But like, he did the five thirty walking around the office thing, right? Because like, 
as we all know, we don't work bankers hours, even though we were selling to bankers. And, um, but you know, it's like, you had to be the first person in that last person out. And it always frustrated me because like my work was done, man. I had already done two people's days of work and like, I was still done. I didn't need to be there until 5.30. And so I think that's one of the things as a manager, I've really said to people, like I'll have people heading out on vacation. They'll be like, I'm checking my Slack. It's like, please don't like it. Do it if you feel like you need to do it, but don't do it. Cause it's not going to earn brownie points with me. Like if anything, I'm just going to be worried. You're going to be burning out. Like you're going to be stressing me out that you were online, not impressing me. Like don't do it. And so like, that's something, and I try to model that too, right? You know, I try to say like when COVID was happening and my nanny had COVID and I was out, I was like, I'm out guys. Like, I'm sorry. Like I'll do my best, but I have three people I need to keep alive. And like, you're all adults. You'll be okay. Like I'll check in and it's okay. And like, by the way, when you have this situation, I'll do the same for you, right? We all need to function. So I think that like leading by example with that as one. And then, um, I think it it does come back to empathy, right? Like, I think there's a lot of hard conversations um, in people management. And I think younger me was very quick to like, be like, I don't understand why somebody doesn't get this. Like, I don't understand why this isn't clicking for you. And I've just come to really understand that like, everybody processes data differently. Everybody looks at something differently. Like, just because you think it's so straightforward doesn't mean that you're team does and really like trying to come at it from whatever their angle is. That's some of my words of wisdom to young me. Young me just, (laughs) you know, is like a hot shot. I think think a lot of early managers probably were like that, but like, I think probably my lack of confidence I made up for by being like overly (laughs) confident. Right. I mean, some of that sounds like how folks tend to think about sales folks in general, right? Yeah. That, that a bit of the bravado. Um, what do you think people tend to get wrong about, about sales folks about or about sales, management? About, about sales. Sales. Oh, uh, yeah. I think there's a real like, one, you know, is that sales and marketing can't get along, which I'm here to tell you right now. Stella and I, you know, we... We're, yeah, we're fine. I, I know, but, we but the sales and heads. product get along? Yeah, our sales and product can never get along. Sales and engineers can never get along. You, I can't even tell, I cannot tell you how many interviews I went through where they were like, um, we really need to make sure you meet the engineering manager or the leader or whatever, because like, we got to make sure we don't get a salesperson in here who's going to like mess up our engineering culture and like, and like, in short, I think there probably is a batch of salespeople that would like sell stuff that they shouldn't sell. And, you know, there is that. But um, yeah, I guess the, this assumption, as I'm saying it, is that sales doesn't get along with anybody, right? So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. I, you know, there's all the classic, like salespeople are smarmy salespeople. The only way you can motivate a salesperson is through a commission plan. That one, that's classic. It's like, you know, everyone... Everyone is motivated by different things. Like I can't even tell you how many salespeople I know who like all they wanted to do was have lunch with Michael Pryor. You know what I mean? They wanted a moment with the CEO, right? Yeah, because, you know, it's an exposure thing, right? Or like, you know, whatever it is, like people, you know, there's some people who want the commission. There's some people who want the public recognition. There's some people who want, you know, whatever it is, it's all different things. Like, but it's always like, ah, you got to really think about that commission plan because the salesperson's going to do the first thing they can do to manipulate that. And it's like, I don't know, it's like a very negative connotation. And salespeople are the only ones really that when you think about hiring sales, and I've done budgeting 
a million times, right? Salespeople are always the one where you're like, how's that salesperson going to pay for themselves 5X or whatever? And it's like, I mean, how's anybody paying for themselves 5X? It's a very stressful job. Like there is, you really have to like, you cannot skirt by in sales generally. Yeah. I did a, as y'all know, I did a very brief stint at a, at a startup that's working on on sales um, productivity tools. And I think that was one of the biggest things the whole product org learned was just like, you know, it is such a high stress job, like salespeople, it's their livelihoods in a way that generally salaried folks don't have a great understanding of. So I think you're right. Like there's, there's cause to be deeply empathetic, right? Yeah. With that, that discipline. I think that everybody would benefit, everybody in tech definitely would benefit from having some sort of sales experience. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's hard. I, I, it's so hard. It's hard. I did, <laughs> this is something you may not know about me. I did a summer selling life insurance while I was in college and it was so formative. I, you learn, it's, I actually also have some theater in my, in my blood or in my background, not my blood. That's weird. But, um, but yeah, the, the rejection is, is so real. And, you know, yeah. anyways, I think that that was like such a formative experience that it, yeah. I, I recommend it for everybody. Yeah. I, no, sold, I mean, I sold zero policies, by the way. So, <laughs> you know, it's, summer. Just, it's just like, um, it's just like customer service or customer success, yeah. right? Like, I think everyone should do around in that. Like, and, and, you know, when I was a kid, I was a waitress and it's like, people should have to do customer facing things, whatever it is. One of those things, like everyone should understand what you need to think about when you're, when you're doing customer facing interactions. And, you know, and I think that relates everywhere. Like a good product team is doing customer interviews or understanding UX. Like those, those are really skills that translate honestly, just about to any function. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think there is a, a sense though, that sales can't be a good partner. A good partner to you guys, right? Like uh, we're here. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think it worked. Yeah. I think that can be a whole other podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, probably. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm gonna Stella, did you have a question? No, nope. I got another okay. one. So you mentioned that you're very competitive. You're I you know you're I don't know how old you are. But you've already, I'm 38, you, I will you're say 38. No, All right. So yeah. you're, you're I got two more years. <laughs> it's all over so you're 38 you're already chief revenue officer you have this new family right you're doing it you're doing all the things amazing wow um so what is what does the next you know 10 years look like if you're thinking about your career okay maybe five (laughs) no i like 10 10 is good nikita's hitting me with the existential crisis you know i don't know i don't know and i think it's actually one of those things not to dive too deep into to crisis mode, but it's one of those things where I think I've really always been hyper-focused on a CRO position or on a C-suite position. And, you know, it's been really important to me to have that recognition up at that level and to have that kind of scope and influence and partnership across a team. And, you know, it's been important for me to break that barrier, you know, for a number of reasons, including my gender, including where I'm at. Like I'm not in San Francisco. I'm not in New York. I'm not in a major tech hub. I'm not going to be in the office every day. I do want to have my kids and be around and see my family. I don't want to do that. I saw nighttime to morning darkness, like anymore. And so to be able to do all that and to be able to take a C-suite position was like really important to me to show you could do it and be successful. 
I'm there now. And so now, yeah, the question is like, oh, what do you do next? I really enjoy doing board seats. I really enjoy doing advising work. I like helping people out at scale. I like being able to amplify that without having to be an eight hour engagement to be able to like really empower other people to be successful and, and to basically like try and share some of what I know works or at least help them question what is working. So I don't know what that looks like, you know, long-term. I think like whether that means staying in an operator position or whether it's moving into something that has more of that scope is something I'm exploring right now. But yeah, I have some time to figure it out. So I'm, 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 you know, trying a little bit of everything. And my husband always jokes, like you guys talked about your hobbies and he's like, I, I, I don't have hobbies. He's like, what are you doing tonight? I was like, I'm gonna go do this podcast thing. And he's like, so you're going to just keep working. And I was like, yeah, like I had Monday (laughs) off at work and I took a bunch of like advising calls with people because I was like, what am I going to do? Weather's horrible. Like I might as well do this. And he's like, yeah, you need a hobby. And I was like, I mean, this is my hobby. Like I enjoy this. I watch like Shark Tank because I like watching people argue about valuations. I watch Million Dollar Listing because I like watching people have negotiations on houses. Like I even with my free time, I watch stupid sort of business related things. Like it's boring, but it's what I like. So I don't know, whatever it is probably is a little bit more of whatever that journey is long term. So I'm going to jump in and ask about uh, the... You know, so you have three kids. Yeah. And so in this, and you're obviously a very ambitious human. So can you talk a little bit about uh, like at what point in your career you decided um, to to have kids? Did that play into it? Yeah. Like I know a lot of people are thinking about that mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. I mean, it was probably one of the hardest decisions of my life because I knew I would have, it would derail me for some period of time, you know, because you have to step off the path you're on to some extent to do it. So yeah, it was really hard. I did delay until I felt like I was in like a safe enough environment that I could take that time. But you know, maternity leave was always a really hard thing for me to do. And I didn't do it particularly well, candidly. Like I just, I worked through most of it. I came back early. I didn't take my full time and, you know, and I regretted it the first time. And I said, I'll do it better the next time. And I did it wrong that time too. And it was really hard. It was really hard because I had just, we'd gone through the acquisition from Trello to Atlassian, I'd spent a year merging the teams in. I'd been given this opportunity to run America's in APAC. And, um, and I was, I was pregnant and like, and I was worried about telling my manager then about it. And then I found out it was twins, which was like higher risk. And I couldn't travel. I couldn't go to our sales kickoff. And like my first year running that team, I was the only remote person. I was literally on a laptop while everybody else was in a big room. And like, it was super, not their fault. Like, you know, I was happy to even be a part of it, but it was like not warm and fuzzy. And and I think like to Atlassian's credit, they are very, uh, they are, you know, very accommodating. And I was very fortunate to be in that situation. So it wasn't anything the businesses ever did. It was always me, you know, struggling with that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it was hard. It's hard every time I get I've had a number of staff, former 
people who worked for me who will write, call me up and be like, I don't know how to make this. I don't know how to tell people. And by the way, remote is actually much more friendly for this, right? Like, hundred percent. We were at a sales, we were at a um, Trello together and I was pregnant with the twins and nobody knew. Oh, and we I had, had breakfast and I together. Really, yeah, we were at breakfast <laughs> together and I was like miserable. I was uncomfortable. I couldn't tell anybody. I had to, when I was packing for that, I had to think about like, I packed a lot of really long scarves. Like I just was like, I I just didn't know what to do. At least remote to some extent helps with that. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, this is not a great answer. Like it was something that I constantly thought about. I will say I can, I can genuinely look back and say, I don't think it impacted my career path at all. I think a lot of that was in my head more than it was in reality, but yeah, it's something. And when I have people who go on maternity leave, I, of course, like I said, I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, I will yell at you if you come online, like disconnect, uninstall, like don't come online, like learn from me. Um, But I know if I were to have another kid again, which I am not, um, I would probably still do it wrong, you know? There's no way to do it wrong. Everybody well, that's their another classic journey. like mom guild. I'll tell myself I did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of mom guilt, uh, how do you how do you like think about these different roles that you have to play in your life on a daily basis? Yeah, you know, um yeah, it's a different journey for everybody, right? I, I think ultimately that I'm a more well-rounded person at in both places because I have it, um, you know, and sometimes I'll be talking to my oldest and I'm like, I sound like I'm giving him a performance review. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, listen, there's some actionable things we can think about here with this. And it's like, ah, Jesus, a little corporate, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it's, you know, some people will choose to have kids. Some people won't. Some people will choose to work. Some people won't. They all, you know, they're all valid choices. Um, I like that I work and my kids can see it. I like that they, um, you know, are used to, they can be okay when I travel for offsites and I'm not home all the time. I like that resilience that they have, but I also like being here as much as possible and not being on the road if I don't have to be. And I have that balance. But yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'm very fortunate too with my 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 husband, with my partner that, you know, he's able to be here and to cover and not, it's never a question and he doesn't travel as much and he's able to do that and happy to do that. And, um, you know, we balance those things out and I talk about work all the time at home. Like the worlds are not separated. Like my kids know all of my team's names, I think they, I'm sure they would say stuff that I wouldn't want them to repeat if they were asked it, you know, but like they get what's going on in my world. They know my world is bigger than just this place. And I think that's good. And my team knows that my world is bigger than just my place with them too. Like, you know, it's, we're, we're not a family. Like I have a family. We're awesome coworkers and we can be friends. I have a family. They're really important. They're the most important thing. And I will choose them over whatever I have to do at work. And like, I think that's okay. And I think people respect that and it gives them a signal that they can have a life too, hopefully. So yeah, I don't know. I can't segment them, right? They're all together, like all smooshed together into one thing. Oh, you look like you have something else. Nope. You go. No. Um, I, I, I was, I think that was the one that was on my mind kind of to wrap things up. This idea of how do we kind of 
configure these roles that we have to play. Maybe we can end on the, you already talked about what you would have told, you know, yourself 10 years ago, if you could sum that up. I know we've all done some version of this and trust building exercise, but if you could tell your younger self. Yeah. So, right. I think there's like a lot of the obvious answers probably of like all the stuff I was saying about being a better manager and stuff. But honestly, the biggest thing I've learned and this now this will be a true salesperson, like egotistical (laughs) statement, but I'm going to own it. I'm going to be okay with it. I always thought, and this is totally, um, you know, imposter syndrome, but I always thought that somebody had a big company, somebody with a certain title that they had, they were fundamentally smarter and better than me and that they would, of course, find me out the minute they started talking to me. In reality, we're all so much closer to each other than we realize, right? Like, people have different paths. They started in different places, but like, you know, everyone has a strength. Everyone has a weakness. Like we're all way closer to each other than you think you are. And like to just try and push that part out as much as possible because, um, you know, they're thinking it too. I'm sure they are, unless they're super confident, like, you know, me, obviously, but yeah, they're like, they're thinking it too. So that's my biggest advice. Cause I think that helped me back I don't know, probably still holds me back a little bit sometimes, but I think that held me back a lot. If if nothing else, it caused a lot of anxiety that probably didn't need to be caused back then. Well, thank you, Kristen. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. This was awesome. I learned learned so much new stuff about you, which I didn't know. And uh, next time we're going to be digging into Nikita's story. That sounded horrible. We'll be talking to Nikita about her story. (laughs) Awesome. Yep. Next week or next release of the podcast, I guess. So yeah, Nikita, you've you've paid your dues being the MC. We'll come for you next time. All right. I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks everyone. We'll talk to you soon. See you soon.